Do you remember as a kid wanting to be an adult? Do you remember like looking at the adults in your life and wishing that you were them? Or like when they were having a conversation in the front seat as a kid trying to listen into their conversation and pretend like you were part of it? I think for me it was a teenager. I wanted to be my older sister so bad, even thinking of the cool things they got to do. It was just, oh, you wanted that so bad. I was looking up recently rites of passage for just different cultures in the world, and I found some really interesting ones. Um, in Africa, in some places in Africa, this is kind of a traditional one, but uh, boys would hunt lions in order to pass from boyhood to adulthood. Um, in some places in South America, girls would have their teeth filed into sharp points, and that was their rite of passage. My favorite one I found was um, in the Amazon jungle, boys will wear bullet ant gloves, where they put their hand in a glove filled with these bullet ants that sting them while they dance around for 10 minutes. And that's how they turn from a boy into a man. Well, today, we're going to look at what turns a boy, what turns boys or girls into men and women of God. Hey, and welcome to the Scripture Study Project, a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you're learning to others. I am Krista, and I'm here with my husband, Zach, and we are ready to get going on this episode. Today we're going to study just what makes a man or a woman of God. What actually brings spiritual maturity? So first off, we're going to start again with our study tip. If you'll remember from last episode, our study tip was to read the scriptures. Now this tip is going to help us make that tip from last time even better. So our tip this week is to search the scriptures for answers to questions. And again, this may seem like a really basic one, but it's not as basic as we may think. I was watching a video recently that showed a swimming pool. Hundreds of people in the swimming pool in this particular video camera view. The video goes on for about 15-20 seconds and then all of a sudden it pauses and a text comes up that just says, do you see the drowning boy? And then it plays and you look around and can't see him until the lifeguard jumps off of the tower, swims to the middle of the pool, and then all of a sudden you see the boy. Then the video starts again and it puts the question at the beginning, do you see the drowning boy? This time I was able to spot him before the lifeguard made the jump. I've thought about that in relation to scripture study, how sometimes our scripture study becomes just this thing that we do, a checklist item, so to speak. If we were to approach scriptures with a question, if we were to search them, we might find that our scripture study experience is elevated even more. Elder Bednar has given a couple of addresses on scripture study, but in many of them, the common denominator is that the most powerful way to study scriptures is to search them for answers to questions. So, we're going to dive in today to 2 Nephi, or 1 Nephi, chapter 2. And we're going to start with a look at Laman and Lemuel. Now, Laman and Lemuel get a really bad rap. 
And I think it's obviously deserved based on Nephi's account of what happens, but a little bit unfair. Think about what they're being asked to go through. Dad comes to him and says, we're leaving. I've had these visions and these dreams that Jerusalem, this great city that is the promised city of God is going to be destroyed. We've got to leave. You can only take a backpack with you. We're heading into the wilderness. I don't know where we're going. I don't know how long we're going to be gone. I don't know if we're ever coming back. You can understand why they might be a little bit confused or frustrated and murmur is the word that Nephi uses, right? Yeah, I don't think we, I think they don't get enough credit sometimes for the fact that they even just left Jerusalem in the first place. One thing you can say about Laman and Lemuel is they do, uh, at least until they rebel against Nephi, they do everything they're asked to do, albeit with some grumbling. The reason I bring that up isn't to highlight or to elevate Laman and Lemuel. It is, however, to point this out. First Nephi chapter 2, verse 16. Nephi tells us this. It came to pass that I, Nephi, being exceedingly young, nevertheless being large in stature, and also having great desires to know the mysteries of God, wherefore I did cry unto the Lord, and behold, he did visit me, and did soften my heart, that I did believe all the words which had been spoken by my father. Wherefore, I did not rebel against him like my brothers. What I find interesting is when God visits him, he does what? He softens his heart, which means that before this event, Nephi's heart was hard. Nephi was just like his brothers. He had a difficult time with what was being asked of him, understandably so. So what I want to look at today is how Nephi goes from this moment of hard-heartedness, youth, to something different. And to frame this, I want to point out a phrase that Nephi uses here at the beginning of this story that we all know of them going to get the plates from Laban and coming back, and the phrase he uses at the end. So back in verse 16, at the very beginning of the verse, Nephi describes himself as exceedingly young, nevertheless being large in stature. Well, if you go two chapters later, at the end of the story, remember there's this moment when Zoram is trying to escape. Nephi reaches out and grabs him, and he describes himself, listen for the difference. And now I, Nephi, being a man, large in stature. Something happens in two plus chapters, in probably maybe a month, if a little bit more, where Nephi goes from describing himself as exceedingly young to describing himself as a man. And I want to know what makes the difference. What takes this teenage, hard-hearted boy and turns him into a man? So what we've done is studied those intervening chapters and looked for things that happen in Nephi's life, things that God does for him, things that he does that make him into a man. And so, Chris, I think you wanted to start. Go ahead. Well, the following verses, and I'm looking first just in chapter, or in verses 17, 18, and 19. And actually, the first thing that I, I thought of was that he went and told his brother. He went and told someone else of his experiences and shared what he thought. So he says, he spake unto Sam, making known unto him the things which the Lord had manifested. So he kind of goes through these next few verses talking about um, him crying unto the Lord, 
talking to his dad about it and about what he's seen and talking to Sam about it. And then this phrase here in verse 19. It came to pass that the Lord spake unto me, saying, Blessed art thou, Nephi, because of thy faith, for thou hast sought me diligently with lowliness of heart. And that humility that it takes to really receive those answers and how humble he had to become to get to this point where he needed to be taught in the following verses. Yeah, I like that connection of humility equals seeking God diligently. Um, And seeking others, too. Yeah. I think the advice that probably he received from his dad and from Sam, these people he trusted, Mm. that maybe were receiving, helping him receive revelation as well. It's interesting. I've never noticed the verse about Sam. Sam's another one that gets not a bad rap, but an invisible rap, right? We know that he's good, but he, he doesn't play a very prominent role in Nephi's narrative. But I like that verse that he's turning to his older brother, uh, that maybe has been through a similar process. If we're to read into the scriptures just a bit, we know Lehi's been through this process. That was our last episode, right? What does Lehi do when he's faced with things he doesn't understand or with things that are difficult? So we know that Nephi can get guidance from him, but I wonder if Sam's been through something similar and he turns to his father and his older brother um, who then direct him to turn to the Lord. I like that thought. I also liked... As we moved through the chapter, it was real. Th- these chapters, it was fun to see how his revelation process really happened. I mean, that's essentially what he's doing: is gaining revelation as he, as in telling us about what he goes through as he's seeking to find how to get these plates and how to accomplish what the Lord has asked him to do. Again, he's he's going to prayer again, and the Lord is telling him, "You haven't murmured. You've been seeking me." And so I'm going to give you these things. And then we hear the verse, the famous verse of, I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded me, for I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them. And I think this is where you start to see Nephi's faith come in. You start to see that, wait, I can do this. I have the power to do this. And going back to the, the conversations that he might have been having with his father or with Sam or these other people of how that faith was rooted in a lot of the experiences that I believe he learned from his dad. Lehi took his family to the wilderness, which took a lot of faith on his part. And here is Nephi going through a similar experience and then saying, the Lord is going to tell me what to do because I'm do- I know that the Lord will do that. So then here's the question. What does that or how does that translate to action for us? If we're putting ourselves in the story and we're Nephi, what does this mean for us when we're asked to do something difficult? Maybe we don't know how to do it. Maybe we have a hard heart about it. What do you see in there as the application for us? Well, I mean, maybe I'll just, we'll just go back to that first Nephi chapter three, verse seven. Where did he get that faith from to know that he can go and do the things which the Lord commands? It's because he was listening to God. He was listening to his father, who he knew was a man of faith, and listening to these other experiences of people that proved to him. And I think that's something that we can gain when we listen to other people. I mean, that's what the scriptures are, right? Is listening to these other people who have gained these faith-filled 
experiences. And so the power that comes as we are learning from others' experiences and while in the same process seeking after our own revelation. It's cool to think about in that verse, he says, I know the Lord giveth no commandments except he prepares a way for him. Well, how does he know that? Has he learned it from dad? Has he learned it from Sam? Has he learned it from scriptures? Has he learned it to humbly opening himself up to others' experiences, others' directions, and others' ideas, where maybe Laman and Lemuel closed themselves off to that? Yeah, and it's probably, I mean, don't you think it's a little of all of those things? Mm-hmm. When, you're, when you're really seeking after answers and you're having problems, you're looking pretty much everywhere. Or it's like um, President Nelson says, you are reaching up, as, as if you're a drowning person. You're reaching up to Jesus Christ and his power as if you're drowning. Yeah. And I think Nephi probably felt like he was drowning in the desert because they were, <laughs> you know, in a different sense of drowning. The verse I liked a lot that I've always liked in the story is when they get to Jerusalem, they have three different attempts to get the plates from Laban. Attempt number one, they're going to go talk to him, right? It's a Attempt by chance. They draw straws. Laman draws the short straw, goes in and talks to Laban, and it doesn't work. Attempt number two is they go home, gather all of their wealth, and return to Laban to try and buy the plates off of him. And again, the attempt fails. I like that they failed twice. It reminds me a lot of Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament Jehovah who let people fail or even diminished their ability to succeed so that they had to turn to him and rely on him for success. I think of the story of Gideon in the Old Testament who has this army of 30,000 soldiers. And before he goes into battle, the Lord, through different means, reduces his army to just 300 so that when Gideon and his army win, the Lord can prove to them, show them, it was me that did this not out of a sense of pride or bragging, but out of a complete understanding that he is the only one that can save us. So attempt number three, after Nephi and his brothers uh, have that discussion in the cave where they beat him, the angel stops them, Nephi proclaims his faith that God can do anything, and then that faith is immediately put to the test. And my favorite verses in the whole account are chapter four, verses six, and the first four letter, first four words of verse seven. Nephi heads into the city and he says in verse six, I was led by the spirit, not knowing beforehand the things which I should do. And then my favorite four words, nevertheless, I went forth. One of the things I think that makes boys and girls into men and women of God is they learn the truth that I am nothing without God. My own strength, my own wealth, everything that I have and everything I possess, A, comes from him, and B, avails me nothing if I'm trying to succeed. The only success to be had in especially eternal or immortal life is to be had when we rely on the Spirit, rely on our God, and just go forth and do what he says. And, you know, within that um, frame of what you're talking about is not only going forth, but maybe to expound that a little further is to have the faith that you will be led 
while you start going. Mm. Because sometimes it's hard to even start because you get scared or you don't know what is going to happen next. But, you know, we, t- we talk about that a lot that in the church of, you know, sometimes you don't get revelation on your knees. You get it when you're moving. And that is an example here of what Nephi did. He said, I went forth even though I didn't know, but I, he knew he had the faith that he was gonna, going to get those answers as he went. I, um, <laughs> I had an experience on my mission where um, a companion and I prayed before we left our apartment for which street we should go to and which direction we should go. And, and my companion maybe had more faith than I did. Uh, but he was very adamant that we pray about every direction or every decision that we made. And I remember clearly after uh, knocking on someone's door that wasn't there, sitting down on the front steps, and my companion asking me, let's pray about which direction we should go, left or right. And so I bowed my head and I said a quick 30-second prayer, and I looked up and he's still praying. And after a couple of minutes, he looks up and he says, all right, elder, which direction do you feel we should go? And I had no feeling at all. And so I pointed to the left, I think, and said, I think we should go this way. And he said, really? And I said, or we could go this other way. And he says, yeah, that's what I got to. So we got up and we walked that way and there was no one on the street and there was no one there. And we walked and we wandered until we ran into our next appointment who wasn't home either. And I remember (laughs) thinking back on that, of kind of frustrated that here we are, missionaries, we're on the Lord's errand, we pray about where to go, and we didn't, at least I didn't, get an answer. It didn't seem to do anything. Now, I know there's a hundred stories to this one story of people praying and being led and directed, but my experience over the course of my mission was I didn't receive revelation sitting in my apartment, staring at the map of the city. I didn't ever see a, a street glow yellow and know that that's the street I should go to. I didn't ever hear a whisper that said, fourth apartment, third door from the left, knock four times, step back one space, and they'll open and invite you in. What did happen, though, is as we were walking and as we were moving, things happened. Um, Talking to someone and this person that walks down the street right behind us that bumps into us just happens to be someone else that we talk to. Um... I could give numerous examples, and maybe in later episodes I will, where revelation came in transit, not in sitting and waiting. And I've been thinking a lot about that um, as, as Zach was telling that story of the, the mantra I've kind of had lately of like, just it's good and done. I heard that from um, actually another podcast I listened to. But, you know, sometimes we think it has to be perfect before we act. And as maybe especially when we feel like we're getting revelation from God um, and doing His will, but maybe sometimes God just needs you to take a few steps and and not it doesn't need to be perfect. Not knowing beforehand the things which I should do, nevertheless I went forth. And the key here is this: Nephi is not just going forth and shooting from the hip; he is going forth because he knows that this is God's plan. You rewind one chapter when Laman and Lemuel want to go home. Nephi says to them, we won't go home until we do what God asked us to do. He asked us to do it, which means there has to be a way to do it. And it's that confidence, not in his own abilities. He's tried twice to do it with, to get the plates from Laban with his own abilities and it did nothing. So it is not a confidence in his own abilities. I, I, um, 
I get frustrated sometimes at these self-improvement or, or um, career life coaching things that try and empower people. You can do anything you want, which just isn't true. You can't do anything you want, but God can. And so if you're on his errand, if you trust him, and if you let him tell you, if you let him guide you, then all you have to do is go forth and he'll guide you. And that's the rest of the story. Uh, The Lord puts Laban in Nephi's path. The Lord makes Laban drunk. The Lord tells Nephi what to do and how to do it and where to go and what to say, even disguises his voice. The Lord does everything. So I love that phrase. Not knowing beforehand the things which I should do, nevertheless, I went forth. Okay, so how do we teach that? Here is our teaching tip for the day. Give your students something to look for as they read. And that deepens the reading. We mentioned last time reading through is a great method, which is very true. But let's look for something as we go. There's kind of an old not really tried and true, but maybe kind of tired and impotent technique we use in teaching where we ask a class or a group or our children, whoever it is, read this. And then I have some questions for you. How many times have you heard that in elders quorum or in Sunday school? Okay, everybody let's, we're going to read the first couple of pages in the manual. And then I have some questions for you. Well, what if we reverse the model? What if instead of reading, we ask the questions? What if we searched the scriptures for truth? And so as you're teaching a class or as you're teaching your children, practice it. Give them a question and not just any question. Give them a question they care about. Give them a question that means something to them. Questions like, what did Nephi say in this verse are okay. But questions like, how can this story help you overcome trials? What evidence in this story do you find that God cares about us? Questions like that mean a lot more to people, and so they create a lot more revelation. So, for example, if you wanted to teach this block to somebody, 1 Nephi chapters 2 through 4, you might start with the question that we did. What makes a man or a woman of God? Say you've got teenagers at home, and they've been begging you to treat them more like an adult. Sit them down and say, Let's read these couple of chapters. I want you to see what makes a man or a woman of God. And what a great study that will be for them as they search the scriptures. And then a great discussion as you and they talk about what they found. And that will create a better learning environment so that they see that you're learning together. Because isn't that what studying the gospel is all about? It's not necessarily one of us teaching and pouring out knowledge but it's instead a group sharing insights that we receive together. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you again for being with us and for studying with us. As always, you can reach us on Instagram. Krista's at Krista Joe Horton, and I am at millennial.mormon. We'd love to hear from you. Love to hear your questions, uh, your thoughts on the podcast, your experiences with the things we've mentioned in this episode. So reach out and let us know, and we will see you next episode.